Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture. I'd like for us to kind of look at it from a different angle. And the song we sang tonight, Be Strong in the Lord, and talked about the Lord delivering us from every snare of the devil. And that's kind of the angle I'd like for us to consider tonight. And as we're facing a new year, we... We have no idea what the year holds for us, yeah, but we need to be sure we have the right focus and are aware of what the devil's goal is and be reminded of that. Matthew chapter 4, let's stand we read, please. <clears throat> then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, all these things will I give to thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Then I'd like for us to hold your fingers there, turn over to Luke chapter 4. We won't read the whole passage, just one because it's basically the same uh, story of what's going on, but just one verse I'd like for us to read in the conclusion of that, and that's verse 13. Luke 4, 13. And when the devil, I love hearing the rustling of the pages of the Bible being turned. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, for saving us, those of us that are saved. Lord, if there's one here tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as his or her Savior. May even tonight you may convict them of sin and convict them, Lord, that they may their only hope of heaven and the forgiveness of sins is through the shed blood of Jesus and may they choose to be saved. And Lord, for those of us that are saved here tonight, oh Father, may your Holy Spirit even now be preparing our hearts to receive the exhortation from your word that we may be on guard to the attacks of Satan. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. To kind of lay a little bit of a groundwork before we really get into the, the main part of the, the message, I'd like for us to just kind of lay, uh, remind ourselves of what God's purpose for us that are saved is. In Titus chapter 2, Jesus, I mean, God's word says this. He's talking about Jesus Christ in the previous verse. He says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. 
So what we see from that passage is God didn't save us just to save us from going to hell. He didn't save us just so he could forgive us of our sins. Now, of course, we'd all agree if that is all that he ever did for us, that's far more than we deserve. And we praise God for that truth, for his salvation, for his forgiveness of our wicked sins. Uh, but again, this verse goes on and expands. He says, he redeemed us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself. And the idea of cleaning up our life. Because we need to remember, sin is an offense to God. Whether it's a lost person or a saved person, sin is an offense to God. Because I mean, you think like the, the uh, King David, he committed murder and adultery. And he was considered a man after God's own heart, but God punished him. God chastised him. Why? Because God's holiness cannot and will not tolerate sin. And we must always remember that. I was just having a Bible study with some of the people this morning and talking about where it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But God saved us for the purpose to purify us, to clean us up. Now, that doesn't mean we'll ever be perfect. Uh, you know, you just <clears throat> live with anybody for just a period of time. You'll find out no, they're not perfect. All right. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we just say, well, it doesn't matter just as long as I'm going to heaven. No, we still have to learn to deal with sin in our lives. Because God's goal is like it teaches over in 1 Peter 1. For as I am holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. God's goal is not only to just save us. His goal is to make us holy people. Peculiar in the sense of just exactly what he wants us to be for his glory, for his pleasure. But there's one good thing about that. As God works in our lives and makes us holy, it's not only for his glory and pleasure, it's also for our pleasure. So God in his goodness gave us his word to warn us, yes, those of us that are saved, remember we still need to deal with sin in our living here on this, earth, on this earth as a child of God. And so we need to think about that and, and also laying more of a groundwork. I'd like for us to think about not only does God want us to be holy, the devil is going to do everything he can to make us unholy. What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? He's a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may, what? Devour. The devil hates anything that God loves. And he loves his people. And the devil is going to do whatever he can to destroy your life and mine. He's going to do everything he can to destroy your testimony and mine. Because we think about it, as we go back to Matthew chapter 4. That was the goal of Satan when he was testing Jesus. He wanted to try to destroy the work of God that God was going to do through Jesus Christ. And we see here three areas where the devil was testing Satan. And so I'd like for us to kind of consider each area and how the devil will use these areas in your life and mine to try to test us, to tempt us, so that we may sin and offend God and hurt our fellowship with him. Let us remember, the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, our relationship is established steadfast and sure. I thank God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ by his grace. I know I'm going to heaven and it's not based upon how well I live. Because if it was based upon how well I live, there will always be the question, am I being good enough? Have I done enough? It will always be that question. But, but the Bible plainly teaches that once we receive Christ, our salvation is steadfast 
and sure. Now, that's not a license, just like Paul was telling the people uh, in the, the, to the Galatian church, use not this liberty to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But a lot of people, I mean, I remember talking with a free will Baptist preacher one time, and they, they, think, they think you can lose your salvation. And he's saying, well, if that, you know, if you're eternally secure, then, man, I'm telling you, come Saturday night, I'm going dancing and drinking. And thinking, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. Use not that liberty to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But I'd like for us to go back and look at the temptations that the devil threw at Jesus and see that he throws the same types of temptations at you and me. So it's not going to be what you might say uh, an enjoyable message. It's going to be the type that we're all in our seats going to squirm a little bit. The Holy Spirit's going to be pricking us. And I think that there are times we need that. We don't need to hear just love, love, good, 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 positive, positive, positive. God's word is like a battery. With every battery, there's a positive and what? A negative. God's word is positive. But it's also got its negative if you want to consider it negative. But let us remember, even with the negatives, God's saying it for our good. Yes, it's for his pleasure, but it's for our good also. So let's consider the first thing, first temptation Jesus was tested by the devil was to make bread. He said, you know, you think about after 40 days, I don't know how long you've ever fasted, but I think the longest I've ever fasted was about like three or four days. And it goes without saying, I was hungry. He went 40 days without eating. So you know what he was doing? The devil was trying to use Jesus' human bodily desires and needs as a testing. And that's one thing the devil will use. He will tempt us, first of all, in the area of our bodily desires. Over in Proverbs, and this is only one verse, but many verses talk about it. In Proverbs chapter 23, and there are other verses we can look at. Verse 21 says, um, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Now, you know what we're seeing there? Is God is very plainly saying, watch out for these three temptations and these three sins. First of all, laziness. God says if a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. If there's ever one principle that we as grandparents and parents should truly strive to teach our children and grandchildren is teach them how to work. Don't just give them money. I mean, I'm not saying you don't, but I'm just saying, you know, like good, good opportunity. Say, well, if you go wash the car, then maybe we'll go out for ice cream. And, and make sure they do it. Don't let them get halfway through it and then quit. Teach them, you know, you stay with the job until you're done. The, the principle of working is a God-given from the very beginning. He had Adam and Eve to till the garden, and that was before the fall. Some people say, well, work is, is a part of the curse. No, it's not. Work was established from the very beginning. And a very important principle of training our children is learning how to work and how to enjoy it and do a good job to the glory of God. It's like Paul said in Colossians, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And so God condemns laziness. Don't let the kids lay around while you're working yourself to death to keep clean the house. Or, you know, they're out there and they're playing their video games while you're out mowing the yard in this hot summer weather we have right here. No, get them out there. Teach them the principle of work. God condemns laziness. And there's so many passages that deal with that. 
But that's part of the physical thing. He tempts them to be lazy. But then he goes on and says, he talks about gluttony. Now, that's a terrible thing to be talking about after the holidays, isn't it? Okay, and I, I understand that one completely. But you know what he's referring to? He's not talking about don't enjoy food because, uh, you know, we have to eat. And God gives us food because it's good to eat. There's nothing better than, than some of the foods we had over the holidays. But God condemns gluttony. And there's several pastors that deal with that. See, we need to remember that we don't live to eat. We eat in order to live. We enjoy the blessings of God through food. But we have to be careful that we don't let food become our God. I mean, you've heard the phrase comfort food. And there's a certain place and a certain level for it. But if all we do is want to get comfort, that's all we do. We do in the, just in, in, uh, in the inhale all those calories. You know what we're really doing? We're going to food to comfort some soul problems. And we need to be careful of that. When we have soul problems, we need to be sure that we go to God. And not use comfort food as a substitution of that which we should be getting in our relationship with the Lord. But then he also goes on and talks about drunkenness. Now, this has been a debate for how many decades, centuries, whatever. Is it a sin for a Christian to drink alcoholic beverages? And if you think about it, and you know, it might be hard-pressed to find a passage that plainly says, Thou shalt not drink alcohol. Now, alcohol within itself is not wrong because you find that in cough syrup. You find that in mouthwash. And so, yes, there's a place for it. But God condemns drunkenness. Now, my personal position is that I believe for a Christian should be totally, voluntarily abstinence from every bit of alcoholic drinking. It's just kind of like, uh, remember, my, I have a good friend in Pennsylvania. His, his uncle, which would have been his grandmother's son, all right, the grandmother was talking to Dave's uncle. And the uncle was saying, well, I can drink 10 beers before I get drunk. And so the grandmother looked at him and said, therefore, after one beer, you're one-tenth drunk. And it kind of gets you thinking. Because, see, we need to remember, we're, we're supposed to, well, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I bring my body into subjection. In other words, I am responsible to control what happens to my body. And it's a proven fact that alcoholic beverages do affect your body. And what does it say in Ephesians chapter 5? He says, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, instead of letting alcohol in, you talk, it affects how you walk, it affects your thinking. And so the Lord is saying, for a child of God, instead of letting alcohol influence you, let the Holy Spirit be your influence. So drunkenness is a sin. It is a sin. And and I believe there's also the principle of testimony. I mean, if somebody knows you're a Christian and you go to church regularly and they see you sitting at Outback drinking a bottle of wine, what are they going to think? You go to the grocery store and say, well, I'm just going to take this home and drink it by myself. Well, what if the, the next aisle over somebody sees you buy it? What's that going to do to your testimony? So therefore, I believe that it's God-honoring to be totally abstinent from alcoholic beverages. Now, I know a lot of Christians, preachers even, do not agree with that, and each and every one of us will answer for our position about it. But it's kind of like, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard the illustration of a guy was, uh, their trucking, a trucking firm was uh, trying closer than that. 
And the third fellow said, I'm going to stay as far as away as I can from it. He's the one that got the job. Well, I think that's the same way with some things in life. Don't let us not see how close we can get to it before it becomes sin. It's, it's better to stay safe. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so, but there's another area that's a bodily desire that God has given us, and that's the area of sexuality. Our sexuality was given to us as a gift from God. Just like there's nothing wrong with alcohol used in the right place. There's nothing wrong with food. We need food. And there's nothing wrong with rest. We need rest. The same way with our sexuality, God gave it to us as a gift. But he put boundaries. That this is the only way where it's to be enjoyed. And that's within the boundary of marriage between one man and one woman. But you think about how much the devil is deceiving people thinking, it's my body, I'll do with it what I want to. And they say, there's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with love? Or they think, well, God gave me this desire, so I'm sure he expects me to fulfill it. God, all across the scriptures, like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we talked about the holiness of God, which is important. I mean, how he wants us to be holy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, God's word says this. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, and sanctification means to be made holy, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, abstain means don't do it. Abstain means stay away from it. What does it say in another passage? Flee fornication, like what Joseph did in the Bible and the book of Genesis. And he, he, he realized, I'm not going to stay and toy with this. He fled. He left his jacket. Flee fornication. Our sexuality is a strong component of our humanness. Anybody that denies that is not human. But it's plain in Scripture that we are, the sexual immorality, whether it be premarital sex, Adultery, homosexuality, pornography is a sin. Plain and simple, it is sin. And Jesus trying to give the, the spirit of the law, not only the letter law, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if a man looks on a woman in lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. And so, fellas, that's where we've got to guard ourselves all the time. You say, well, I remember one time here, and I may have shared this with you before, but uh, I don't remember who it was, but there was this young college student walking with this 80-year-old uh, professor walking down the hall. In front of them was this very attractive young lady walking and, you know, just walking. Uh, you fellows know what I'm talking about. And, and the young fellow said to the professor, said, you know, it sure is going to be good when I get to that age where something like that doesn't bother me. And the 80-year-old man said, yeah, it sure will be. You'll get that in a minute. That there's not, a, there's not an age limit to what the devil will use to try to destroy our testimony and our walk with God. Of course, on the flip side of it, let me encourage you ladies. Remember, God exhorts you to, to learn to live with modest apparel. Of course, a lot of the ladies will say, well, men shouldn't be thinking those things. Well, if you say that, you do not understand the way God made men. That, that, that is something you just have not grasped and understood yet. We're not perverts because we like to look at a woman. That's part of God's design, the way he's made us. But we do have to control how we think about it. 
and we're responsible. But you ladies are responsible for how you dress. With how you dress. You know, your short skirt, the short skirts and the, and the plunging necklines are not encouraging for a man that's trying to live for God. And it's sin. And we need to understand again that it could be a trap of the devil. Because again, if a girl dresses like that in order to get attention, she's going to draw the wrong crowd. And she's using her body where she should be reflecting her character to be a drawing factor. And so that's one of the ways the devil will use those. Some of the many ways the devil will use our flesh to try to destroy our walk with God and destroy our testimony for God. So we need to be like Jesus and be in the scriptures and know how to repulse those temptations that the devil will throw at us. But let us continue. And then he talks about how, remember how they took the, took the Lord up on a, a pinnacle and, and said, I'll, show, I'll give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. Now, the devil knew that Jesus' goal is he's going to be ruler of the whole world. Realize he's going to be king of kings. Or he already is king of kings, just we haven't gotten to his inauguration yet, you might say. All right? But he said, I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. In other words, he said, look, I'll help you reach your goal if you do it my way. And that's another area where the devil trips people up. And that is the area of things. In the area of things. And we want to look at it from two different ways. He will tempt us to want to go pursuit of things in ways that's contrary to biblical principles. Now I've, been th- I've thought about this and I believe in scriptures. There's really only four ways that we can obtain wealth in a way that honors God. And number one would be what? Work. Work for it. But there's also inheritance. There's investment, and there's a gift. And you know what that rules out? Playing the lottery, gambling, stealing, lying on your income tax. All right? So God says, look, yes, I want, because he said he giveth us richly all things to enjoy. But what the devil wants us to try to do is to get us to do it, obtain it in a way that violates biblical principles. And there are many people that do that. And we need to be so careful and be sure that whatever we receive, whether it be $1,000 or $100,000, that it's attained through God-honoring means. But you know, there's another thing about things the devil will use with you and me, and that's abusing things. In other words, things become more important than our relationship with God. You know, you think about, I've heard many stories, many preachers talk about how some of their church members will get these campers and, well, we're going to go camping over the weekend. We won't see in church on Sunday anymore because we're going to, you know, God's blessed us with this camper, so we got to use it, so we won't be in church. And so what happens? They're using something in a violation of biblical principles. But you think about, there's so many ways that the devil uses that. You think about, I mean, it was mentioned on, uh, 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 I think it was last Wednesday night, social media. Our smartphones are, is a thing. That's all it is. But how many times have I heard people say, boy, this, this is my life. 
Well, I thought Jesus was supposed to be our life. Now, don't misunderstand. I understand that, you know, you got your phone numbers, your addresses, your, you know, your, your, your memory and everything like that. So I'm not saying that per se is wrong. But we have to be careful how much we spend on Facebook, social media, because you know what to do. Number one, you're losing time. How many times do we say, well, I don't have time for Bible reading, but we spend an hour on Facebook. Or we, you know, or plus the stuff that we're exposed to though, on some of the things on Facebook. It's a thing. It's a good thing. But we have to be careful that we don't let the devil tempt us in a way to use it that violates biblical principles or biblical priorities. And we could go on and on and on and squirm and squirm and squirm because we're all, you know, we're all susceptible to it. I know there are times that I think, oh, man, I spent too much time on this, this stuff. I got to stop this. And, yeah, you know, I could have been, I was just watching really not trash, but just junk. Like, you know, <laughs> there's no edifying po- positivity to it at all. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I like watching the, when it talks about how, you know, the bully comes to town and some big strong dude comes and beats up the bully. I don't know what it is about that I like watching. But, you know, they'll just have a picture. I mean, one, one after after. And I think, I waste a lot of time. Nothing wrong with it, but just wasting time that I could have been growing in the Lord in other ways. Redeeming the time, the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 5. So we need to be careful of things, and that's another way the devil. Because, see, he doesn't care if he gets us into sin as long as he can also get our focus off of the Lord. It's not just about sin that he's, he tries with. If he can't get us to sin, then, okay, I'll get them diverted to get their attention off of the Bible and off of going to church and, and praying and, and reaching out. Because, see, the devil doesn't care how he does it. He will use whatever he can to destroy us. But let's go on and think about something else. Notice the third temptation. You set him up on a pentacle and said, jump! Because you know the Bible says that, you know, you dash your foot against the stone, he's going to deliver you. And the Lord said, don't tempt the Lord. You say, well, what's he trying to say there with that? I think, believe, part of what the, the devil's trying to tempt Jesus to do was to test the care of God for his people. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt God for example, it's kind of like uh, the, uh, the idea of like, well, I'm going to go 80 miles an hour and God's going to protect me. You're, te- you're tempting God. You're being stupid. You're being foolish. And then you're expecting God to deliver you from your stupidity. And I believe that's part of what he's saying here, trying to tempt Jesus to get lifted up with pride, thinking, well, I'm God's child. God's going to take care of me. You know, I, I think of... The way we might want to think about that is we expect God's blessings when we choose to do things contrary to his will. I think of the sad, sad state we're seeing so much in America. How many Christian couples will shack up together and live together for several years and then get married and expect God's blessings upon their marriage? That's testing God. Think, well, we're Christians, we go to church, but you're living in sin. How can you expect God's blessings when you're living in sin? And that's where so many young people are doing exactly what the devil wants them to do. And that's, <clears throat> so he's, let us not tempt God. But you know another way we may tempt God 
is the way we think about things. And follow through with me on this. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, uh, verse, verse 5, the Lord gives us a principle here about, about our thinking. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, I believe that we are testing God when we have wrong thinking about life. I mean, you think about, we've talked a lot about the sins of the flesh, sins about the lust of the eyes, sins of the pride of life. And the Lord deals with those type of sins also. For example, envy. What is envy? That's wrong thinking. Boy, I sure wished I had a truck like Walt's got. Mine's in the shop. <laughs> I could be really envious of his truck. Okay. Uh, or, man, why, you know, I wished I had a spouse like that. Or why does he get to, they get to get up there and in front of everybody and sing? Why, why can't I do something like that? And envy just kicks in. And you know, that's what motivated the people, the, uh, the Jewish leaders to crucify Christ. It says, Pilate said he knew that for envy, they wanted Jesus crucified. For envy. That's wrong thinking. What about bitterness? Is that not wrong thinking? Well, but what they did was totally wrong. They shouldn't have done that to me. Maybe not. Maybe what they did was terrible. But God condemns bitterness. He exhorts for forgiveness. See, what did the Lord say in what we call the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us this day. Forgive me my trespasses. And later the Lord said, because if you're not willing to forgive them their trespasses, then I'm not going to forgive you of your trespasses in the sense that I think God's not going to forgive you for your unforgiveness until you repent of it. Because you think about it, it says, but even as Christ has forgiven us, so do you to others. I mean, where's the greater offense? What somebody may do to you and I? Or our sin against God? God forgives us. So we in turn should forgive others. Are the, is that easy? Sometimes, depending upon what it is, absolutely not. And it might be one of those things you may have to seek for, to forgive them several times a day. Every day. For a long, long, long time. But it honors God when we still deal and think correctly about forgiveness. What about depression? Now, I know I'm kind of stepping into a touchy situation here. But I think about a lot of people, I mean, and this has been proven through a lot of uh, biblical research. A lot of people, a lot of Christians even, are on antidepressant drugs. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know there are sometimes there can truly be a physiological problem in a person's life that they have to deal with it. But is it also not possible that part of the problem is wrong thinking? Oh, I'm just so low. I'm just no good. I'm just not worth anything. I've just messed up too badly. Is that what God's word says? If God's forgiven us, and God loves us, we are worth something. 
That's something we need to remember. That yes, we may have blown it, and there's been some things in my life I've really blown badly. And what helped me get over it was the truth of God's word. I'm forgiven. And it kind of makes me think of there's another proverb in the book of Proverbs. Where is that? I had it marked, but I forgot. Where it said, the righteous man falleth seven times, but gets up again. That's one of the great things about God is we can, when we mess up and blow up and blow it up, blow it up, we can still get up and go again because that's the way God's mercy and grace works in our lives. And so sometimes our depression may be because we're thinking wrong. Oh, just kind of like, you know, everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat worms. And so what are we doing? We're just thinking wrongly. Again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there are some times that, yes, physiologically, there need to be need the need of a drug to help because it's a physio- physiological problem. I understand that. But don't make it worse by wrong thinking. Bring into captivity, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, every imagination against the knowledge of God. Finally, brother, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of pure? What sort of lovely? What sort of good report? Think on these things. Because when we think contrary to the scripture, what are we doing? My way's better. We're putting ourselves up as our own God, our own authority. And because I, I've been there, and there have been times in my life and, and that I thought, man, I'm telling you, I just think that the world would be better off if I was just out of the picture. And the Holy Spirit would go smack, smack. You know, that's wrong thinking. I had to think correctly. Get in the scripture, and the Lord, where we reminded, God loves me. And if God, the sovereign, holy God of the universe, loves me, then it doesn't matter if somebody else doesn't love me, because God loves me. And with that in mind, I can, you know, we are more than conquerors through Christ who, you know, who died for us. And so right thinking is so important to how we deal with life. Yes, we can get discouraged. Well, there's a lot of things in life that can discourage us, dishearten us, be a struggle. But God's mercy and God's truth and God's love will help us through any problem we may ever face. Let us not test or tempt God, saying, God, another way he's looking at it, saying, God, you said you'd take care of me and you're not doing it. That's a lie from the devil. Besides, we need to remember, sometimes God does allow things to happen, but everything God allows in our lives, he does with a purpose. Is that not what Romans 8, 28 says? For we know, not like, well, I hope so, or I think so, or maybe, perhaps. For we know that all things work together for what? Good. And then verse 29 tells us why they work for good, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. So therefore, again, no matter what happens, or what we've done, or haven't done, whatever, God can use it in our life if we just think the way God wants us to think. And let us not tempt God, thinking, okay, God, I'm putting you the test, Let's not put him to test when we do something stupid or wrong or wrong thinking. Let's just realize God is a good God. And that's right. And so Jesus, again, he said, nope, it is written. Again, there's the answer. So get the devil, as we think about all these things, there's no way we can cover it all. The devil's going to come after you and me with any of these and maybe every one of them. 
Because he wants to destroy your life and mine. Hurt your fellowship with God. He's going to use any one of them. And he'll know what button to push in your life. And what pushes one person's button may not push it in the other. But God, the devil knows what button will push that person. He's going to try anything and everything he can. Because just like what we read in Luke 4.13. Satan said he left him for a season. You know what that meant was? The devil didn't quit. The devil didn't give up. He kept coming after him. He may have used different angles, maybe different situations, but the devil kept coming after Christ. And he'll do the same thing for you and me. He'll keep coming after it and he will work on us. And again, sometimes we have to remember, he may not work big, maybe just a slight little erosion here, a slight little temptation yielded to here. And once you put all those little ones together, boom, we fall. So we have to be careful. The devil will not leave us alone. And, and we need to remember that the Lord takes us home to glory. We're going to have to deal with the devil. Now, we won't deal with him directly. But he has his devils everywhere working in our lives. But thanks be to God, we can be strong in the Lord and have victory through Jesus Christ. And so the the thrust of this message was the purpose to remind us what we have to deal with in the negative realm so that we may be on guard, so that we may see there's hope that we do have the victory in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that to you young people. I say that to us middle-aged. Well, okay, senior age too. All right. Uh, but you know, we, again, all of us, no matter what age we are, let us be on guard. Let's be vigilant. Let's be strong by the grace of God. And live a life so that when the Lord does take us home to glory, we can hopefully hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I come to you tonight. Lord, I know this is a type of message that can be discouraging, but Lord, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to help us to be on guard. To warn us. And so, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to every heart tonight. If there's someone here this night that's got sin in their life, I pray that your Spirit's convicted them and they'll run to you tonight, crying out to you for forgiveness. Whether it's sins of the flesh or whether it's sins of the Spirit, like bitterness or anger, envy, jealousy. Lord, most importantly, may we all deal with sin in our hearts and may we hunger and thirst to walk close with you in a way that pleases you. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.